0: Hello and welcome back to Control, Lock, Delete. This is the podcast where I interview brilliant experts and thought leaders and writers and creatives about the internet, their careers and everything in between. I'm so excited to have the brilliant Liz Ward on the podcast today. She is a personal and business coach with over 12 years experience developing and mentoring high performing individuals from entrepreneurs in the startup world to people in corporate management roles. She has a really fascinating background in Digital business development. Her career history includes the massive rebranding of the Millennium Dome to the O2, and then also the London 2012 opening ceremony campaigns. And she's also done global digital strategy for many big brands, including Bacardi. So on paper, Liz's career is one of those amazing, sparkly LinkedIn successful careers. But she then suffered a really severe case of burnout, which I'm sure a lot of people listening. Might be able to relate to burnout, unfortunately, seems to be not only a buzzword but something that is really everywhere at the moment. And Liz pivoted from her career in 2013 by leaving the nine to five corporate world, then she launched Slick pivot in 2016, which is something I really wanted to talk to her about for the podcast. So interested in this new mission that she is undertaking to help people pivot in their careers and businesses so that they're happier. So in this episode, we talk about how we change and we take those pivotal moments and get out of the uncomfortable and sometimes painful job and lifestyle that we're in. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Liz is so knowledgeable and wise and interesting. And I was on a panel with her recently and she just gave such brilliant advice that I kind of was scribbling down myself so I thought she'd make a brilliant guest. Please do leave a rating or a review on iTunes, it really helps. Thanks so much and hope you enjoy. So I'm really excited to be sat down with Liz Ward, someone who I just think is Such a great, knowledgeable person in the industry who tells it how it is and also helps a lot of people sort their life out. Before we talk about Slick Pivot, which I am obsessed with and everything that you do, do you mind if we go back to the very beginning and just paint a picture for the listeners of how you began in your career? Because I feel like now you're this like Zen master who (laughs) helps people, but you started off in a really high Profile stressful job, didn't you? And it's a really interesting job. So, would you be able to tell us a bit about it?
1: So, I feel a bit nervous sharing this because it sounds like sometimes I'm bragging about my old life. But actually, I did have kind of the job of dreams. I was lucky enough to get a student placement job at O2, and in the sponsorship team and that was the year that they sponsored Big Brother Arsenal football team when they won the double England rugby team when they won the World Cup in Australia Pop Idol basically they were involved with all the cool stuff that was going on in the country at the time and it was my job to kind of be at those events and make stuff happen so my first week of working in an office was I was at the Big Brother eviction looking after 40 competition winners and it was just like whoa and then I progressed I, I worked really hard and Managed to end up working on some really cool stuff Like launching the O2 It was at the forefront of the digital age You know, I remember text messages were the thing I started in like 2003 It was all about text messages And then I remember working on the first Facebook campaign for O2 Because Facebook had kind of started amongst universities And experimenting and doing like creative digital stuff And emailing 22 million customers about Bon Jovi Things like that So it was kind of a real kickstart to my Career. Yeah, I climbed the ladder, and every couple of years I, I started reaching a plateau and going, okay, what should I do next? So I moved into the advertising team where I was making the TV ads and jetting around making 30 second ads and going to Australia for 30 seconds. Then I worked on the London 2012 Olympics, and that was the you know a once in a lifetime opportunity doing the torch relay and getting everyone out on the streets. And after that, I went to Bacardi and I was running the digital marketing for Grey Goose and Martini, and it's quite glamorous. Flying to LA doing photo shoots and working on events in Lake Como in George Clooney's villa. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah I mean we had we you know hired in
0: speedboats and racing cars and models and it was very glitzy. So on paper it's all sounding fantastic. <laughs>
1: on paper it was great you know everyone was envious of what I was doing jetting around. The challenge was is that from that first moment when I started in the working world I didn't really stop for about 10 years. Mm. and I was had a BlackBerry and I was addicted to my BlackBerry. I could speed type. I could have probably won competitions typing out the fastest email but I used to have to rest my arm on a pillow Whoa. when I came home or went to bed at night because I'd been emailing so much.
0: Are you that person also at dinner who you would be sort of listening maybe? I mean, I'm very guilty of this as well but yeah. you're half thinking I need to reply to my BlackBerry yeah. messages.
1: I was definitely that friend at dinner that could see the kind of flash red light of my blackberry in my handbag and
0: like mm. oh my god this is so nostalgic already this episode <laughs> i'm like the blackberry the bbm message the that red dot where you'd be like i've got a message that is, yeah, yeah that is crazy thinking i used about to that. call it
1: my crackberry because it i was you know i used to try and hide from it but i could still see the red flashing like, Ooh. <laughs> i really loved everything that i did and i really wanted everything that i was working on to go really really well and that kind of workaholic perfectionism served me really well in terms of climbing the ladder however I just didn't really know how to switch off and I wasn't very good at saying no and I always wanted to help so great employee but not necessarily great for
0: my health and lifestyle but it's quite impressive actually to hear you say that it took 10 years to reach that point of oh my god because actually I think that's actually a long time before the exhaustion mm. but then it must have caught up with you so much
1: yeah it was it was just lots and lots and lots of layers and I think the drinking culture in advertising and media was huge and I used to work at all these events and you know it was my job to be there you know in the hospitality box drinking and you know I could have chosen not to drink but I didn't I didn't make that choice and at that time really people weren't making those choices it was about drinking and then I was working at Bacardi and I found myself reaching for a GT and before I went for a conference call with the US team at 6pm and they'd be logging on at 9am in the morning because of the time difference and I'd be <laughs> sitting there with my double Bombay Sapphire and those moments when I look back I'm like wow, that was not clever behaviour.
0: Do you look back at those times? Because I know looking back, you probably think, oh my God, I was really heading towards burnout because that is a crazy lifestyle to have for so many years. Sometimes I think that we go in chapters in our careers and in our lives and we just grow older and we get more mature and we sort of understand more about the world. Do you kind of look back and think I'm glad I did all that? Or do you look back and think I I could have looked after myself more?
1: I'm really glad I did it all because, you know, I like having fun and I did have fun. And now I'm quite satisfied to not go to a party and to see some of my old colleagues still work at the places that I did. They're all at the Brit Awards and I'm watching it on TV and I'm like, oh, that's changed. But that's fine and I'm comfortable with that.
0: It's like, you know, when you don't want to go to the party, you just want to be invited. It's a bit like, (laughs) I know I've done it, so I can now take a backseat. But I wanted to talk about pivoting. Obviously, Slick Pivot is your brilliant company and the brand that you've built. And I wondered, you coach people really amazing people on pivoting career change. So how did you pivot? It's such a hard thing to understand how to do, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think you don't ever pivot perfectly. And definitely
0: not overnight. (laughs)
1: And not overnight. And I think... For me, there's definitely multiple pivot points along the way. And the first thing I did after quitting my job was rest. Because in order for me to then start seeing more clearly, I needed to get my body feeling good, my brain feeling good, started to reconnect with really who I was and what I was all about. So I definitely started with chilling out. I had a detox from my phone. I actually went travelling and I didn't have a smartphone for nine months. You did an Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I broke more. My phone was stolen on a beach when I was in Indonesia and like quite early on into my trip. And so I got a, one of those crappy little handsets with a terrible screen and you couldn't really te- send a text. It took me hours to retrain myself on how to send a text message, you know, with multiple pressing the buttons. And so really just detached
0: from everything for a while. Did you get any withdrawal symptoms? Or, because I know you just said, that you, you know, you'd be like texting so much that your hand you don't have to rest your hand. I just wondered because on a smaller scale sometimes I will go on holiday and I will feel so tetchy not on my phone like it is embarrassing it's almost like I'm giving up cigarettes for the week Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: yeah I think you kind of you got to get past that point there's almost like a little bit of a longing inside you're like oh you know I need to check (laughs) and then you check and nothing's happened you know okay I actually went to internet cafes and like logged on to Facebook every now and again (laughs) send a few messages (laughs) it was really old school so it was kind of like go backwards a little bit and I, I definitely think when you're making a change you have to almost if you think about like a rubber band in order for it to go forward you have to pull it back so you kind of take yourself back rest recharge and before you can project yourself forward again when i was on my trip i then after feeling better i started to reconnect the ideas I'd had before. I'd always had this daydream that I was going to start a Yorkshire pudding street food company. I thought, you know, I'm from Yorkshire. My dad had a pub. They used to serve giant Yorkshire puddings. Like, I loved it. And when I was at Glastonbury one year, I thought, what would I like to eat? And so I had this idea that I was going to do this really successful Yorkshire pudding street food company. And then it was going to be a book. And then there was going to be like pop-up events and all this stuff. But I'd never tried it. And so when I was on the beach in Bali, I was like, ah, that's what I'm going to do. And I was really clear that's what I was going to do and I started writing plans and I spent a long time reading health and safety books about street food vans and which I got my mum came to visit and she brought me some I told her buy these books bring them out and I researching vans I nearly bought a van for 10k and I was going to come home and start doing this thing and when I did come back to London I went to Exmouth Market to do some research and it's February and I changed my mind about my idea in 20 minutes because I spoke to the guys that were there on the market stall I asked them about their lives I asked them about how much money they were worth making, what their day looked like, you know, and this guy was like, well, we were up at 4am, we were prepping the food, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I just suddenly thought, I don't want to do this. This is not how I want to create my life. So by testing it out, by stepping into the shoes, I kind of changed my mind. After that, I was like, okay, well, what actually am I good at? You know, and then I started really reconnecting with my strengths and what I had already in my career equity, because I think we've all got so many amazing experiences up to the point of now, even from like your first part-time job or stuff you did to your parents when you were little. It all kind of builds towards what you have to offer to the world. And... I knew marketing, so I was started consulting, but I started consulting with really small businesses because I didn't want the big
0: corporate lifestyle that I'd had before, and I wanted things on my terms. Yeah, it's so amazing um, doing that and taking that leap because I can imagine many of the people listening could be maybe in a job they're not loving mm. maybe it's a corporate one or maybe it's 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 something else and I definitely know that feeling of, of waking up and really hating my job and I feel very lucky to enjoy it now what do you say to people when they first approach you or do you normally coach people who have taken the leap they've quit the job and then they've come to you or do you sort of do the interim this is how you're gonna leave and this <laughs> is how you're gonna
1: it's a range I probably have 50 50 some people that are still in jobs some people that have already made the leap and already maybe started a business so it's a range the first thing we look at usually you want to pivot because everything's not perfect so is that you know what is the problem you know what are we trying to get away from and how would you like your life to be how would you like to be working how would you like to be feeling what kind of projects do you want to be doing you know do you need more creativity in your life do you need more flexibility in your life do you need more feeling of contribution so that you're actually making a difference. One of the things that I see really regularly is people doing work that they don't really feel it's got much of a purpose. And so when they're doing it on a daily basis, they're like, oh, why am I bothering going through this grind when I really don't believe in this project that I'm working on? And I think that can really affect us mentally mm. because when you think there's no point to it and then other people think there's no point to it, you kind of then start thinking, what's the point in me? And it starts affecting your confidence. Yes. So we do a big deep dive on like, you know, what is going on? And usually that pain kind of highlights the things that you are, you want to be more drawn to. And then we look at that.
0: That's amazing. Do you ever get people come to you who say my life on Instagram or on LinkedIn or on paper looks amazing and actually I'm scared to lose like people's perception of me
1: Mm. yeah I mean I think we live in this day and age of curation of our lifestyle you know making it look a certain way being inauthentic is really unsustainable it's tiring And it's not going to serve you in the long term. I think everyone, everyone I work with is worried about what other people think of Mm. them in whatever kind of capacity, whether that's asking for a pay rise. What are they going to think? Or, you know, I couldn't do that because what would so and so think? And usually we we think about people as a mass. But actually, it's usually like one or two people that we're worried about. And when you can kind of pinpoint who that is, then you can start doing the work. Totally, yes.
0: God, that's so interesting because I do think we're living for the perception of who we are and everything's so shiny but it never matches up with the internal stuff like that's the stuff you have to fix but I wondered with your business I really wanted to ask you this question because I feel like there's a false narrative around having a successful business has to be because you have an online presence or you Mm -hmm. have loads of followers on Instagram I totally don't believe that and I know it's not true because I know so many people with successful businesses who are just like do you know what I can't really be bothered to like grow my Facebook page because that's not how I'm getting up my clients yeah and I know we've sort of spoken about this before obviously you have a brilliant online presence but it's not you've said before it's not like those two don't match up all the time
1: absolutely like on paper my old job looked amazing on paper my instagram looks terrible because i've got like less than 300 followers but that that doesn't marry up with how my business is running i started my business without using social at all really i did events in the real world and met people face to face and sent emails and connected with individuals and kind of kicked off a word of mouth campaign and my clients do my marketing for me because it's all referrals and um, I can kind of trace back pretty much everyone I work with to another connection. I do have, I do play with social media and at the moment it's funny because for me Instagram does not make me money, it doesn't bring me business. I am playing with it at the moment because I kind of felt inspired to have a mess around and so I'm having a mess around as an experiment because at the moment I have a bit of time because I'm only working a small amount because I've got my little baby at home. So I've been experimenting with it just so I can understand a little bit more. Um, the thing
0: is is like you probably have 300 people on there who are clients or potential clients. I know who all of them are. That to me and I know people say it and I don't know if they really truly believe it but I'm that is more powerful mm. than having like 20,000 people who don't care about you.
1: I think my Instagram is a small base of people that I know and they are bought into who I am and that that kind of micro community is susceptible to my message and we're all kind of in it together everyone's having some kind of pivot and I genuinely do not believe that you need to have hundreds of thousands of followers because a lot of them are it's vanity metrics and makes you might might make you feel good I don't know but it's not a measure of success to me
0: there was an interesting case study recently and I know this is generalizing and it's not fair to you know tar everyone with the same brush but there was an influencer I think who had about three million followers and she She started a t-shirt business and she sold nine t-shirts. Oh, I read about that. Yeah, and I just, that's not like throwing shade on what she's doing. But I just think this is a really valuable conversation and Mm. an inspiring one. Because if I was pivoting, maybe I'd be like, oh, I need like followers. But it really isn't about that Mm. at the very beginning.
1: Yeah, I would say at the very beginning, go in real life. You know, IRL. How can you experiment with your idea in real life, low risk? So if you have an idea, text 10 friends and say... What do you think of my idea? Would you be interested in doing this, doing that? Would you know anyone that is? You know, and then go talk to those people and then tell them what you're doing. See if you can, I don't know what you want to do, but like whether you want to make a sale or provide a new service. Have those in real life conversations because then you're going to get the feedback directly, very, very quickly, whether anyone thinks it's a goer or not or whether they would be potential customers or they know any potential customers. Because if you don't get that fast, you could spend a lot of time building something that nobody wants.
0: What about those people who don't believe in you or say, oh, that will never work? And you think, but it could. Mm,
1: okay. So then find different people. Find the people that you think will be interested.
0: Find your audience, yeah. Find
1: your audience because there's an audience for everything. And we all know this now. It can niche down to being like, you know, cat accessories. And some people will be interested in that. But if you're talking to a dog lover, they're going to say, oh, that's a load of rubbish. So you need to kind of test the ideas with the potential target audience. The two people most close to me and my biggest fans now, my uh, my partner and my mum both rolled their eyes when I told them that I was going to become a coach. And if I'd listened to them, I wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you about this because don't let those those other people, those naysayers affect you. So allow people to give you feedback, but look at that in a real, what's the word? It's Almost like a scientific way. Am I asking the right person the right question to get the right result? Mm -hmm. And so by doing that in a kind of more systematic way, testing your hypothesis hypotheses out you can get confidence
0: i so hear you on that because i i sometimes get negative comments like on my column and things like that and then I think but those people who are not enjoying this they're not the people that actually I respect or I care about their opinion Mm. not in a mean way but it's like it would matter to me more if someone I liked and respected said oh that wasn't a very good column I'd be like oh okay I I actually really believe that and I will improve but someone who I just don't know or it's like weighing up who that person is yeah exactly and choosing you know which feedback you
1: want to follow totally Um, but if you keep respecting receiving the same consistent feedback and, and you're not listening to it then that's a, a warning signal and I think that's one of the things that I help people do is to start seeing the feedback that they're getting at all times both internally and externally so often you can get give yourself your own internal feedback that's what happened to me when I went to Ex of Market with the Yorkshire pudding store I felt what it would feel like if I was to go down that path and it didn't feel good. So by getting your own internal feedback on stuff quickly, you can save yourself a lot of time.
0: That's why I'm such a fan of side hustles because I'm like you're not risking anything. It's a side project. I know it's more work and more hours and you might not be able to watch Love Island mm-hmm. that night, but you know, you're testing the water and if you don't like it after a few weeks or months, you've saved yourself a bit. But I wanted to ask you quickly about money and about valuing yourself because we did a panel together a while ago for Marriott mm-hmm. and someone in the audience asked asked you, okay, I've pivoted, it's going actually quite well, but I really struggle with knowing how much to, you know, what worth to place myself. I just wondered Mm. if you could touch on that a little bit, just because you said some really great stuff.
1: Yeah. So I think money is one of the big things. Well, everyone needs money. English people don't really like to talk about it, but money is really important work to think about, like your relation to your mindset. Your money is a reflection of your mindset. Love that. So if you believe no, they're never going to give me that. That's really going to affect how you go in to negotiate that. What we've got to do is think about, well, there's two things when it comes to money and getting paid for what you do. One is knowing the value of the work that you're doing, because it's not how much you're worth, it's how much that job or service is is worth, what that's valued at, because it's not about you, it's about the job. And then knowing your experience. So, like, what ballpark are you playing in? So, are are you playing, you know, tennis or water polo? And, you know, are you in the school league? Are you pro? So, you know, knowing what you offer, you know, I'm a tennis player and I'm a pro. Therefore, I'm in this bracket. So, understanding that really, really clearly, where you are, but then believing that too Mm. so that's a
0: really good analogy because as you practice and as you do things and as you grow you get better and then you become more valuable and i think the funny thing about being self-employed is you kind of have to give yourself a pay rise yeah or you have to at least say my rates have changed
1: you have to value your your own time so with that it's about going okay how much time am i putting into this therefore how much is that worth to me and then going okay this is my figure then once you know your figure which is great. Often people could be like, yeah, this is my dream figure, but then they can't follow it through because they don't really believe that they're ever going to get it. So then we've got to do some work around, okay, what are we thinking in terms of this figure? Do we really believe that that figure is possible? And so look at the evidence. You know, Are there other people earning that kind of figure? Are there businesses paying that kind of figure out at the moment? Is the business I'm talking to able to afford this? Because yeah. often you can get really, really prepped for a negotiation, but the
0: people just don't have the budget. So there's so there's quite a few different factors that go <laughs> yeah. in. You gotta be yeah, you, it's like a strategic thing. Because yeah, the so worst you have to thing prepare. the worst thing would be is someone always said to me, I think it was my dad actually, he was like, The worst thing sometimes is you go in and they're like, Yeah, great and you're like, Could have gone in higher. Yeah. And it's like it's okay to have these conversations where you're like not haggling but like compromising on it and and knowing that you haven't undersold yourself
1: exactly you have to kind of prepare for the whole thing you have to prepare for a yes prepare for a maybe and prepare for a no to know how you're going to react to each one of those things you know and it can work if you're asking for a pay rise at work know it's a long game because if even if you get really prepared to go in to see your boss and have that conversation they're not going to be able to answer you in that room they need to then probably go and a conversation with somebody else, speak to HR, do they have the budget? You know, it's it's a long game. So first prepare yourself that actually it's not going to be a quick fix and you need to do the work to kind of get yourself in the right place. But you can ask them, you can say something to them like, is there anything else you need from me for you to be able to sell this in? Mm. And by asking that question, it forces them to say, well, actually, I'm a bit worried about whether you can do X, Y, Z, or we... Don't really pay people that kind of money, you know, because if they're not giving you an answer in that room, ask them the question, is there anything else you need from me to help you sell this in? And you'll probably get some good feedback.
0: That's really good advice. There's so many little phrases that I think help us and we're like not taught them like early on. And it's, yeah, it's so useful.
1: Yeah, you need to separate your self-worth from your net worth. (laughs) Somebody told me that once. How you feel about yourself and how you feel about the, the money that you earn need to be separated. Wow, that's deep. (laughs)
0: because I feel like you can 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 can, get muddled up in all that but you can
1: get really deep with this because if you don't believe you're worthy you're not going to be able to get the money for for what you're doing and
0: it's like the whole imposter syndrome thing which I could do a whole million series podcast on but it's just there's always an underlying thing of am I worth it I just meet so many women who are worth so much Mm. and it's like look at your bio and you're still feeling like you've charged too much and that you're a big fraud and Mm -hmm. it's like such a a hump to get over
1: absolutely and I think yeah money money is one of those things where it's all linked to like validation and perfectionism and all of those lovely emotions that we feel come back down to the kind of the raw outcome of work which is getting paid
0: totally With Slick Pivot, because I just find it so interesting, coaching and and how coaches work, would you be able to just break down really, in a nutshell, what happens when someone wants to work with you and kind of what does it look like kind of day to day? Mm -hmm. How much do you like check in and all that stuff.
1: Um, so I usually work with people for a minimum of like three or six months. Twelve weeks is the minimum I'll do because it's a journey and I'm kind of your champion and your challenger along the way through that change. And I do all my sessions over the phone well with exception to a few face to face because I do, I do like to see people in real life but the majority... But you do live on a farm. <laughs> I do live on a farm. I, have, I pivoted to the countryside and now live on a farm so the commute is quite long So and the commute is long for any of my clients so people often think oh let's do face to face but actually we are so we're all so time poor and most people uh, have problems with time management anyway so let's maximize the time and talk on the phone. What we'll start with is a call where we look at your goals like, where where do you want to be? Like, what do you want to achieve? You obviously want to make a change. Is that in business? Is that in life? Is that in career? What does good look like? And then we kind of set goals for our pivot pilot. So, the, over the course of the series, I tend to do quick calls, so like half an hour, either weekly or bi weekly, so that we've got regular check ins to get people going, have good momentum. Um, so, we set your goals and then look at exercises like what are your strengths like what are your superpowers like if you were a superhero what would be your superhero name and what would be all your traits you know what's your kryptonite and really defining that because like batman is not spider-man you know and you wouldn't ask batman to make a spider web so you know get
0: really really clear about who you are and what you have to offer and what and do you drill down together sometimes in that because I feel like sometimes it's hard to know your own strengths yeah Yeah. so I've got ways of kind of
1: drawing it out of people to get them to talk about it we look at all your proud moments across your life you know can you think about all the things that made you like do you want to do a little dance you're like wow so you can kind of dissect experiences to pull out those strengths there's also uh, a really good tool online that anyone can do it's called Strengths Finder and uh, you can buy the book on Amazon it's like 20 quid and it gives it comes with a code and you can do a quiz and that kind of spits out your strengths and traits and there's some really good tips on that Ooh. so that's something that anyone could do And the other way we can help people get confident on their strengths is to get, it's a bit scary, but I get them to ask their friends and family and bosses and, you know, it's called Ask Your Fans. So for the people that, like, have got your back, get them to feedback on you. And, like, in workplaces, you know, it's the whole, like, 360 feedback and it's all, like, formal. Oh, God, that terrifies me,
0: but I know that I should do more of that.
1: Yeah, because, you know, when I do it with someone, they are always a bit nervous. And then when we look at the data... 'Cause essentially you're doing a survey and you're trying to get as many people as possible, you get some really, really strong themes that come through and some real clarity mm-hmm. on your strengths and like your watch outs and stuff like that. So that's fun exercise. And it also gets people involved in your pivot. So by having that conversation or sending them an email like i am thinking about doing this mm. and i'd really like your feedback and people are really happy to help and then you can check in with them along the way yeah so then gather all that and then create a vision um i'm very keen on people making their vision of like where they want to go actually like visual they see it every day so write their goal on the fridge or make a vision board and the reason why that's important so say you want to say you want to start a podcast Get a picture of you sitting with a microphone or just a microphone. Put that picture on your fridge where you can see it every single day. Because if you haven't done something yet, you need to keep reminding yourself of what you want to do so you start seeing opportunities. Because our brains, we're programmed to like filter stuff out because if we absorbed everything that happens in front of us at any time, you know, we've just walked through Soho, your brain would explode. So you've got to remind your brain what you're looking for. It's like when you buy a new winter coat and then you're like, yeah, I've got a new coat. It's like September. I look great. I'm on the tube. And then you're like, oh, she's got it. Oh, no, she's got it. <laughs> and you start seeing it. It's the same thing with vision boarding or like putting your goal on the wall because then you start seeing the little opportunities. So you've got to start spotting them. And then when you spot an opportunity, my client will come to me like each week and be like, these are my wins. These are things I've noticed. And they're like, okay, well, what can you experiment with this week then? Yeah, so I've got one client that wanted to start a networking event. And then suddenly things
0: started happening that were just like signaling towards doing that. It's so interesting that because it feels like by you saying, right, let's carry this on for next week, you're basically building their confidence. Uh-huh. And they're building their their own confidence because mm-hmm. they're seeing results and then results breed more results.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so it's little actions often. And that's why, uh, you know, some life coaches have used, you see them once a month and you sit and you talk for an hour and a half. Whereas I like to do like little and often because the more like little steps you can take... The more you actually achieve and you're like, oh, you get a bit more of a spring in your step and then you're ready to go. And you're making those actions really small because what you can do in a week, you've got to be quite realistic. So people make progress that way and then they hit an obstacle (laughs) and something goes wrong or something doesn't feel right. And then, you know, we look again. What is working here? What isn't working? Mm -hmm. What fits? Do you want to change your mind? What should we tweak? And so it's a kind of process of test, learn and iterate, you know, the lean startup of That, yeah. that book is I love that book and I think everyone should read The Lean Star Sub and you know it is written for like tech guys that make apps but all of the pr- principles in it we should you know if we all lived our lives that way we'd be all moving forward quite rapidly but with joy at the same time yeah
0: oh totally oh well thank you so so much for coming on I just wanted to very quickly wrap up with the last question which is I know that you help so many people with their goals and so many people with you know their next steps what what are you looking forward to coming up or in the future do you do the same tasks for yourself yeah
1: I do I mean I have I do have my own coach I have a lot to thank her for because she kind of helped me through all of my pivots and I set my goals. I've got, I'm redoing my vision board at the moment because <laughs> quite a few things have happened. How uh,
0: frequently would you redo a vision? I do it yearly.
1: Okay. Or six monthly. So for me coming up, I want to put two babies now, a toddler and a baby. And so my time is really precious and my family is such a key priority. And as my family grows, that that priority just grows and grows. And um, so I want to be able to serve people. My cli- I love my work and I don't want to stop doing my work, but I want to be able to serve more people with less time. Yeah. So I'm looking at group programs so I can have people work together on their pivots to pilot their pivots. And I'm writing a course, an online course, so that people can work through my
0: workbooks themselves. Excellent so those
1: things are coming up I do have a newsletter where I do weekly pivot inspiration so people can follow me on that
0: amazing oh well thank you so so much that was so useful and I think it's always good to have a reminder to check in on what you're doing and where you're going so thank you
1: can I just say one final thing I think for everyone listening think about if on Christmas Eve you are really really proud of the six months that's about to happen and you're looking back on the last six months on Christmas Eve what do you want to be proud of?
0: Mm. Oh, yes, I need to go make my list now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yay.